Hello and welcome to the podcast, Every Moment is Sacred, where we interweave meditation and healing into everyday life. I am your host, Rain Elizabeth Stickney. Now, let us begin. One of my favorite things Carolee Garrison says in this conversation is, we've got to create beauty from the ashes of our lives. Carolee Garrison is a motivational speaker. She is a singer-songwriter, and we get to hear one of her songs at the end of this episode roller coaster. So this time, as I do when I have a guest on who is a musician, there will not be my regular outro because we will gently roll out of this show with Carolee's music instead. Carolee is a passion coach. She is the host of the Seeking Sunshine podcast She is also a mother, and she describes for us her family. She is deeply passionate about inspiring others to do what lights them up, because she knows that we are all better humans when our cups are full. Carolee lives a life of being lit up. She shares her creativity with us, and her spirituality. Something else that Carolee says in this episode is, parenthood requires creativity. We get to witness some of her creativity as an amazing rock star parent. Carolee guides others to a greater sense of purpose and helps them cultivate courage in the face of adversity. Early knows adversity. She shares some of the hardships she has experienced, and I say that with respect. I want you to know that there is a description in this episode of type 1 diabetes, and it is the story of one of Carolee's sons when he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So if you are a young listener, please check in with your caring, loving adult to see if this is the right show for you to listen to. I know you young listeners are out there, so just check in. And if you are an adult and you know that there are young ones in your care who like to listen to some of this podcast, listen first. The diagnosis of type 1 diabetes can be dramatic sometimes, and I will allow Carolee to tell her own story, but be mindful, this episode is for mature audiences. Carolee helps people strive for momentum, even when it's messy, and she helps people to authentically align their purpose with the divine. 
Now that is one of my favorite parts of the episode is when we get to talk about Carolee's spirituality and her view of the divine. I love connecting spiritually with people and hearing about different perspectives, what they believe in, and how their life journey has gone so far in this world, or perhaps even beyond this world. You can find Carolee all over social media. Her website is caroleegarrison.com. She has a wonderful offering called Snippet of Sunshine, where you can receive a little snippet of sunshine in your email inbox every day. She shares quotes and images directly from her podcast. So sign up for that. She also creates custom songs. And if you are a podcaster or somebody who would like a custom song, reach out to Carolee. She will help you. You'll get to hear her amazing voice and lyrics at the end of this episode with the song Roller Coaster, like I mentioned. I'm so excited to share that with you. If you have been following along with this show, Every Moment is Sacred, you'll know that here in November 2023, it is one year of podcasting for me. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for checking in once or twice, three times, however many times you have found this show. If you're a regular listener, thank you. If you specifically like the conversations, great. If you love the meditations, wonderful. If the poetry is your thing, fantastic. I'm so happy to have you here. In the very beginning of this podcast, this time last year in 2022, there were many bonus episodes. I'm going to end this month with this conversation with Carolee. We'll have a meditation and we'll have a bonus episode. And among these three, you'll find out more about what is to come. Just for now, I will say please sign up for the Meditation for Peace on December 7th, 2023. It's a Thursday. If you cannot be there live or if you can just pop in for a little bit, please register because you will receive the replay. We are meditating on peace and those who are gathering, those who register get to help create a special meditation just right for all of us. Go to my website, rainelizabeth.org, click on the events tab and enter into the Stillwater Meditation page. You can register there. You can also register from the homepage, rainelizabeth.org. Look for the button that says meditate. This is free. And I will let you know about how meditations will continue in 2024 at this event. Now, are you ready for a conversation of courage, tenacity, passion, motherhood, and creativity? This is what you are entering into. Please enjoy the show. Let me know how you like it by giving a five-star rating and leaving a review, or just emailing me any feedback you have. Healing 
at rainelizabeth.org. Are you ready to get all lit up with Carolee Garrison? Because here she is. It's so fun to have you here. It's so fun to get to know you a little bit better. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You are the host of the Seeking Sunshine podcast. And yeah, and you have an album coming out or is your album already out? It came out in May. In May. So it's been a little while. How is it going? Great. Yep. I love it. And it's by the same name, Seeking Sunshine? Yep. What kind of music would a person find on that album? It is actually kind of a variety. There's, um, I'm a really multi-passionate person and there is a, there's a variety. Um, the first couple songs are really jazzy. My Seeking Sunshine, the title song of the track, which is also the introduction song from my podcast is very upbeat and jazzy. But then we've got some slower pop ballads that come in there. And then there's even some like gospel music. There's some rock music. There's some really theatrical pieces. There's a whole mess of music on there. And it's really just like, this is Carolee. Here's just me on this album. Oh, how fun. I love your jazzy voice. I've heard just a little bit of some of your songs and I just love your jazz vocals. Thank you. I am wondering about your family. Can you introduce us to your family? Who are the characters in your life? Oh, well, they are definitely characters. <laughs> that is that is for sure. Uh, so I have three kids with special needs. Um, they are, my, my oldest is Aurora. She's 13 and she has high functioning autism. My second is Joshua and he's 12 and he is severely autistic and semi-verbal and has type 1 diabetes. And then my youngest is Benjamin and he is nine and he's also got high functioning autism. And then my husband is Jacob and he is, he's also a singer like I am and he's a, a songwriter. And he, his journey is long and fascinating. Our our journey together has been really quite a roller coaster, which is actually a song on my album. I wrote a song called Roller Coaster, kind of about our whole journey. Um, but he's been disabled for a decade. Um, and we're actually just coming up on our 15 year anniversary. So it's been the bulk of our marriage that he's been disabled. And over the last couple of years, he's gone through a really incredible healing journey. And he's been able to be back at work for about a year now. So for a wow. while, he was really, uh, he has a, a genetic chromosomal defect called um, episodic ataxia. And mm -hmm. he would collapse and, and kind of shake. And I would have to carry him to bed really frequently multiple times a week. And it was really difficult. And he's also got a lot of other, he has a whole slew of diagnoses, honestly, but lots of chronic pain and kind of a whole bunch of different mental and physical disabilities all combined into one that has led to his disability. That is a lot of care going on in your house, I imagine. Yes. Do you find yourself the main caregiver for everybody? Yeah. Although my husband is amazing and I have absolutely needed him by my side to help mm -hmm. with our kids. Like we are definitely together in this with the kids. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a good partnership. Yeah. And I think I heard on your podcast that you and he met in college. 
Yes. So we have quite a crazy story. Um, I went to college at 18 and about a month into my first semester, I met him and uh, we met and got married in seven weeks. So seven weeks from when we met, we got married (laughs) Uh, and I was only 18 and a half. So we, yeah, we met in October and got married in November and it'll be 15 years this November. Oh, congratulations. And congratulations on your husband going back to work too. That's also yeah. so amazing. It's been really good. Thanks. So we have Carolee and Jacob and you two have Aurora and then Joshua and Benjamin. Yep. Yeah. I know that one of the things that happens in caregiving for some people is that a person can find strength in gratitude because there's so much care going outward. Sometimes it's helpful to remember being grateful. And yeah, does that speak to you? Oh, so much. And one of the best things that I can think of as far as when I look back on the last decade, which was, you know, definitely the most difficult part of my life was, you know, especially the part when my husband was really at his worst, when he couldn't walk very well, because he was actually walking on a cane for the majority of that. And to, I mean, he's only, how old is he? I'm trying to remember. (laughs) He's 36 right now, 37, 37. I know. I'm like, I can't remember how old he is. How old am I? Uh, he's 37. And so for, he was really young. He was only, you know, early 30s when he was walking on a cane. And like that really is so difficult for somebody to be struggling with anxiety and depression and PTSD and not being able to provide for his family and walking on a cane like that will just tear your heart out, you know, to have all that going on. And yet I look back at that time that was so, so difficult for us. And I'm so grateful that my husband was able to stay home all the time mm-hmm. with the kids and I. When I when our kids were little and they were they were so difficult, you know, we were doing therapy all the time and we constantly had I was driving constantly to take them to different therapies. And we had our youngest was three years younger than our other two who were doing therapy all the time. And my husband was home with the baby so that I could be doing therapy with the older two. And because he was home all the time, he was able to do that. And he like we had SeaWorld passes and we were able to go as a family all the time to go do that in the midst of this really difficult time. And to look back and choose to put on rose-colored glasses and to see, you know, this really difficult time as a gift and to see like, oh my gosh, because he was home all the time with us, you know, now he understands how hard it is to be a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. He understands just how hard it is to be a mom and to raise these kids. And he doesn't come home from work and go, ah, why isn't everything done? Because he understands that as soon as I clean something, they immediately turn around and destroy it. (laughs) He understands (laughs) just how hard it is because he lived it with me Mm -hmm. for so long that he's not one of those dads that doesn't get motherhood because he's lived it. Mm -hmm. He knows just how hard it is. And so I'm really grateful that when we're so much more of a team now because of everything that we went through together. 
Like I was there with him for all of his doctor appointments and he was there with me for all the kids' doctor appointments. Like we were really there together, growing and learning as a couple for that whole time. And yeah, a lot of it was traumatic and a lot of it was really difficult. But because I can choose to look back with gratitude, mm-hmm. that's that's a life-changing perspective. And we mm-hmm. can choose to have that perspective if we want to. Mm -hmm. So true. I was just talking with one of my sisters on the phone today, and I was looking back on my life as sisters often do. And I was laughing about a part of my life that was really, really hard, but it's so nice to be able to laugh about it now. And my personal gratitude about that is that time can be such a healer. And what I know about neurochemistry and the brain is that our memories when there's a trauma, our memories are stored in a very special place until we can truly look back on it as the past. And then we can think back and know that that has happened. It's done. And it gives this levity and this ability to have a different perspective on something that can be very serious or what have you. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's like, as you try to change the way that you look at your life, it's way easier to start with stuff that isn't fresh. It's a lot easier when you look at stuff that's really old. And if you can start changing the way that you look at really distant memories that you have processed already, like when you start with those, then you can start changing. Oh, like here's what's possible for now. But you have to wait until, you know, the the pain has sort of ebbed. Yeah, time is such a healer. If we step into this moment even deeper right now, what are you grateful for today, Carolee? Ooh, right now I'm really grateful for space. It's my favorite. I love talking about um, how we as moms can do find the time to fulfill our passions because we aren't meant to become moms and lose ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad that so often we do. We forget who we are and we forget how to find the time to do all the things that we used to love. Mm -hmm. And we have to rediscover that. We have to rediscover who we are and all of those beautiful things that make us an individual because service is beautiful and incredible and necessary, but we forget that we are somebody who deserves to be served too. And if you don't serve yourself and give to yourself, you're not going to have anything to give to your kids. You're going to be empty mm-hmm. and your kids aren't going to grow as well when they're served by an empty mom mm-hmm. as they will when you come from that place of being filled. Mm-hmm. How do you fill yourself up? <laughs> well, I process a lot of emotions through song. that one's a really great one um but i i feel myself up by talking to other women like that one really lights me up it turns it turns out that what lights me up the most talking about what lights you up and the way that you discover what lights you up is you can tell by you how you change when you talk about it and you can tell by looking at me that what lights (laughs) me up is talking about what lights you up because i immediately light up i immediately yeah I immediately light up when I talk about being passionate and being creative. For a really long time, like when I was in that decade of life, 
where I felt really powerless, I was creating things with my hands. Like I was making Halloween costumes from scratch because I'm a sewer, I'm a seamstress. I actually studied sewing and costume design in college. So I I love making things with my hands. And at the time, that was what I needed to do. I was making decorations for my house. I was making, um, I had several different businesses. I made uh, button jewelry. I made tote bags. I made weighted blankets. I made things. I made gifts for people constantly for like homemade Valentines for my kids to hand out at school. I made homemade little things for teacher appreciation, teacher appreciation gifts um, because the physical like manipulation of things gave me power when I felt really powerless in my life. Mm. And doing those things lit me up. It gave me energy to go then clean the toilets and scrub the walls and do all the daily mundane mundane tasks of motherhood. Mm -hmm. Creating beauty in my life is what lit me up at the time. And sometimes what lights you up changes based on what part of motherhood you're in. And I'm at this part of motherhood where I've realized that making stuff with my hands doesn't light me up anymore because my kids destroy everything I make. <laughs> where I'm like, ah, oh, nothing is, nothing feels safe in my home anymore because my kids, like my son Joshua's in a punching phase. So he punches windows and mirrors and paintings and mm. he likes to kick and punch things. And so it's like, ah, creations aren't safe. And like lots of things have to be locked up. And so it's like what I'm creating right now is digital, right? Mm -hmm. I'm creating connections with people and I'm creating music that's in a digital format and I'm creating digital art, things that can't be physically destroyed by my kids. Because <laughs> actually my youngest is also in a, he gets in destructive modes where he likes to destroy things where it's harder to keep physical things safe, right? And so we find ways to adapt that works with what's going on in our lives. At the moment, we we adapt the way we show up for what lights us up, right? So it's the same sort of idea of what lights me up. What lights me up is making things and talking to people, but it shows up differently in my life based on where my kids are at and what they can deal with and how they're showing up in life. And so that's what I'm I'm trying to help other moms to do is, you know, motherhood is it's the most important thing in our lives, right? We're here for our kids, mm -hmm. absolutely hands down. But we're the best moms we can be when we show up for ourselves too. And we mm -hmm. often forget to show mm -hmm. up for ourselves. Yeah, so true. I love your passion for motherhood and I love the way your passion is showing up right now. And I feel this great connection with you as you're allowing this passion through. And I love how your passion for motherhood shows up on your show in your different podcast episodes. And I'm imagining into your world where you are lit up by these things that you love and you provide all of this love and care. You have teamwork with your husband and I'm wondering if you can share a little bit more about being a creative soul who is also a caregiver. Oh, I love that. Being a creative soul who's also a caregiver. Mm, what a beautiful question. There's definitely the need 
to be creative in caregiving. I have found that to be <laughs> to be really true. Um, and this will be a really super funny example. Um, so my youngest has a very unique kind of autism that most people have never heard of before. And it's called pathological demand avoidance. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's I'm take sorry. that slow. We have pathological demand avoidance. So it's coming over from the UK. It's becoming more and more popular. He was actually diagnosed with it in the US, despite a lot of people saying it never gets diagnosed in the US. He was diagnosed here in Utah. It's coming out to the US. It's becoming more of a thing. Um, But a lot of people have not heard about it. It basically feels unsafe in his body. He has like a trauma response in his body when demands are placed on him. And I saw this in him from a very, very young age, but I didn't have the words for it. I could not describe what I was seeing because I had no idea what pathological demand avoidance was. He wasn't diagnosed with this until he was seven and he's nine. So (laughs) very recently he was diagnosed with this. And what this looked like was he would be, he was one year old and Joshua was severely autistic, completely nonverbal. And he was three and they would stand at the baby gate and they wanted a granola bar. And we were trying to cultivate speech and trying to help them learn how to talk. So I'd be like, okay, say, buh, 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 buh. If you want a granola bar, here's a granola bar. Say, buh, buh. And Joshua would pat his cheeks, pat his head, do something. He couldn't talk, though. He had no words. And Joshua also has um, a childhood apraxia of speech, which means that his tongue won't do what his body tells it to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So even when he does try, it doesn't come out. So Joshua was like, doing whatever he could think of to try to comply with what I had asked, but he couldn't do anything, but he was trying clearly. And he's been in intensive therapy since he was 18 months old, (laughs) Joshua has. So he knew he needed to do something, but he couldn't figure out to say, but right. Mm -hmm. Benjamin at one, I knew I could just tell because, you know, as a mom, you just, you just know, you know, your kids, you can just tell what they know right? I never thought that Benjamin had autism because I could take one look at Benjamin and I knew that he knew what I was saying to him. And he would look at me from across that baby gate when I was like, say, buh, buh, buh. And he would glare at me and lay on the floor and scream. He would not say it. And it wasn't because he couldn't. It was because he refused. And we would do, we had in-home speech therapy come in for nine months and they could not get him to say a single thing. He would lay on the floor and scream would not do it. And then we sent him to a clinic for speech therapy and it took them less than a month and they had him speaking completely up to par with his age group. Took him no time at all because the problem was never his speech. He could always talk. It was always there. And I could always tell it was there. Um, So anyways, back to the creativity part. We've had to be really creative with Benjamin of like, how do we make something not seem like a demand? How do we come up with creative punishments? Because for a while, we had no idea what this was. We didn't have any idea, the language around it. And so his punishment would be something like, because spanking never worked. And it's like, what's the point? If if it's not going to work, don't even try. Um, So his punishment would be something like, hold this pencil for five seconds. And he wouldn't do it. (laughs) Um, And it was the punishments clear, like they never worked. And eventually as a parent, you're just like, that's not going to give up on that um our current struggle has been all of the shoes are uncomfortable 
He owns 20 pairs of tennis shoes. They are all uncomfortable. He hates them all. And also his favorite pair, he always loses them. Oh, no. So that's been our struggle. It's every day we're trying to get out to the door for school. And it's, I hate all my shoes. The one pair that I do like, I can't find. And so he went, he's nine years old. He went to school in my tennis shoes. (laughs) Because they fit him. And so I had this brilliant idea. And this is where the creativity comes in. I was like, I'm going to buy myself. He's also been wearing my sweaters because he lost all of his sweaters and (laughs) all of his sweaters were uncomfortable. So he's been like, I'm just going to wear mom's sweater to school. But then he loses my sweaters. Then he wears a different one of mom's sweater. And so I was like, here's my great, brilliant, creative plan is I'm going to buy myself more sweaters for mom and more shoes for mom. Because apparently my shoes fit him and he, he only wears like one shoe size smaller than me, apparently, at nine. <laughs> so whatever. So I was like, I'm going to buy mom a bunch of shoes and mom a bunch of sweaters and tell him he can't have them. They're mom's. And then when we're late for school and he borrows mom's as we run out the door, then he has something to wear because mom has lots of extras. <sighs> and it has worked like a charm. <laughs> Was what I'm like arm. Also, he lost my favorite tennis shoes, but different story. <laughs> what a win! Uh, what wearing, a... I've been wearing those same tennis shoes for like three solid years, and now I have one of them back, and the other one's gone to who knows where. So I bought myself a new pair of shoes at the same time. Um, and by the way, I got him at the thrift store because I know he's just going to lose them, and I'm just going to have to buy more because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, I was like, then if he loses them all, I won't feel bad about spending mm-hmm. loads of money on shoes. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, plus they're already broken in. <laughs> Anyways, for the record, um, we're not spending buku bucks on brand new. Anyways, not the point. But like, it's like <laughs> I had to be creative here of like, how do I get my son who's like, I hate everything I own. I refuse to wear anything I own. I'm only willing to wear something that's mom's. Uh, so that was my creative solution. Yeah, he's also sleeping in a pop-up tent in his bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's his new bed situation because he wants to sleep in a cave. He wants to sleep protected. And we're trying to constantly find ways to help him feel safe mm-hmm. in our home. I feel like parenting is just a whole big creative challenge to begin with. Because <laughs> I know I've heard of lots of, you know parents of kids with autism where they're like nope they will not wear shoes how do we get them to school when they will not wear shoes and that hasn't been our particular issue but there's plenty of similar type things where it's like you have to be creative you are such a rock star mom it's i just really love the rock star quality in you <laughs> yeah it's parenthood requires creativity we get to find ways to rise to the challenge mm-hmm for sure. But I really do love that rock star quality in you. It's in your performances. It's in your way of being. It's in the way that you're a mother. It's in the way that you describe Jolly Rancher Roses. It's <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, I literally like the Jolly Rancher Roses are so fun. They're, you make Jolly Ranchers, you take, you take Jolly Ranchers and you melt them and you turn them into roses. And it's like this really difficult thing that turns into something really beautiful and I I made it for a speech to demonstrate that point and then when I went to go photograph it my son Benjamin was literally standing right there waiting to eat it the moment I was done photographing (laughs) (laughs) 
he's a uh, very much into candy. I mean, I can tell you that uh, we are working on healthy habits, and mm-hmm. um, he's very very active. But he, we, we tried medication with him initially before we knew when he was first diagnosed. It was just with ADHD. Actually, it was also ODD, um, oppositional defiance oh. disorder. Mm, yeah. Um, PDA, pathological demand avoidance, is is kind of an anxiety based ODD. They're related. Okay. They're very similar. So if you're familiar with ODD, they're similar. And what's really fun about both of them is that there's like nothing out there. Like treatment wise, there's nothing. There's like, there's just mm. nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just like, here's a diagnosis. Here's what it means. There's no treatment. There's no, there's no help for the parent who, who has a child with this. Like there's, it's just sort of like, Mm-hmm. and you just sort of have to figure it out but anyways when he tried out the medication to try to help it um was not good for his weight oh yeah very bad for his weight anyways mm-hmm. now he's on nothing which they did have negative side effects and i'm totally an advocate for meds my other two were no actually my daughter's no longer on any meds because she told us that she didn't like how they made her feel so we are trying mm-hmm. doing nothing because we're trying really hard to help her advocate for herself and her own body because she's 13 now and that's really important it's the the medication thing is very interesting and it's definitely like be careful but like they can be very very beneficial but also there can be lots of side effects yeah Um, but anyway so the the medications had lots of negative side effects for benjamin and now he's on nothing and one of those negative side effects was significant weight gain so he's very very active but we actually did gymnastics yesterday for the first time we did a trial gymnastics class and benjamin was very resistant and was like i don't want to do this I'm not going to like it. I don't want to go. And it was like, well, it's just a trial. And he loved it. He absolutely loved it. So it, sometimes we just have to work on trying new things sometimes. And it was very much a, well, if you hate it, we don't have to go back. We're just going to go and see. And thankfully, he was willing to give it a try mm-hmm. because he ended up loving it. Your kids are so lucky to have you. <laughs> we try. We try. And as parents, we're always learning and growing and doing better right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's that's parenthood is a journey just like everything else and like what better growth journey is there like nothing else teaches you more about yourself and about how much you need to control your own emotions and like one of the things I love to say and talk about is how and this always comes across really weird but I promise to explain it like selfishness is one of the greatest gifts that you can give the world. And the way that I mean that is especially when it comes to being a parent and when it comes to kids, because you cannot help your kids regulate their emotions if you do not have your emotions regulated first. And so what I mean by selfishness is like if you're coming, if if they are just wild and screaming and yelling and having a really hard time, if they are really upset and it's really triggering you and you're immediately, if your immediate reaction is to turn and yell at them and, and tell them to stop, like you're not coming at them from a place of regulation and wholeness and peace before you ever talk to them, no matter 
Like, and, and we've been taught forever that like your job as a parent is to control them and to keep them in line and do all the things. And it's like, actually, your job as a parent, number one, is to control yourself. And the best thing that you can do for your kids is to number one, control yourself. The best thing that you can do for your kids is to take a step back and get yourself back to peace mm-hmm. and back to serenity and get your emotions back in control. Mm-hmm. Because if you try to come to them and you're out of whack what what do you think that's going to do to them it's going to send them spiraling even more and then it's just going to become a power struggle Mm -hmm. and especially at our house when my kids are very much leader energy and they will especially my youngest wants to be in control he's not going to back down when Mm -hmm. i'm like no you have to stop he's going to step up yeah he's going to match my energy he's not going to be like oh sorry my daughter might because she's very mild-mannered. But actually, mm-hmm. as she becomes a teenager, she's becoming more and more of a, I'm going to match your energy. And so mm-hmm. I have to. It's becoming ever more important that I I first have to regulate my own emotions so that I can come at them from a really good place of calm and peace and just that really good place, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's such a good point about taking a step back and having the courage to do that and take oneself first. So as a parent, we can step forward with love and patience and whatever whatever we find we need in the moment. Because that's our that's our job as parents is to model that for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And our best interactions with other people are not when we're raising the bar and raising it and raising it and raising it and raising it and getting better because the other person's automatically going to match you. It's when we come from our best place. That's when our we're the best role model for them. And that's when we can teach them the best. That's when, when we're in a headspace where we can think logically instead of reactively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. And creatively. And creatively. And it takes practice. And we need to not like come down on ourselves when we accidentally, you know, responded reactively. <laughs> we've got to forgive ourselves because we're all gonna you know accidentally do that from time to time like forgive yourself move on and just try to do it better next time Mm -hmm. I work with parents often as a parent coach and the way that I work with parents has everything to do with connection and creativity and I just from that perspective from that lens of parent coaching I think you could teach a great course about creativity and parenthood and really help so many people Kids outsmart us all the time. And our kids, especially Joshua, has outsmarted my husband and I constantly, which is why we have needed to be so creative because he might be severely autistic, but he is so smart. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So smart. Well, all your kids sound so smart and your household sounds like a very dynamic place to be. (laughs) (laughs) And so there's Aurora and she's pretty high functioning autistic and also going through puberty, teenage years, I imagine. Yes. Aurora is my reader. Aurora wishes that Aurora is a a, a photographic memory and she could just read all Mm -hmm. day long. And she's been like this since 
forever. Aurora has read more books than I could read in three lifetimes. And she has probably has them all memorized. She could read the back of a cereal box for three hours. She just wants to read all day long forever. That's all she wants to do is just be left in silence to read. That is her goal in life. (laughs) Be left in silence to read. Um, And so she's in a house full of loud, wild people (laughs) Uh, who are performers. I mean, my husband and I actually both studied opera. uh, Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a very dynamic, loud household. And she just wants to sit in her corner and read all the time. Uh And that is difficult to do when everyone around you is yelling. (laughs) So. If you were to create an opera about your life as a mother and as a performer and just who you truly are and what you see in your world, what would you title that opera? Well, it would probably be called Seeking Sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Because Seeking Sunshine is all about looking for the good mm-hmm. when you don't necessarily see it around mm-hmm. you. It's mm-hmm. about the glimmers of hope and the glimmers of sunshine that always exist, even when life seems like we're in the middle of a chaotic storm, right? Mm-hmm. It's about looking for it and seeking for it. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of been, it's become my like life motto, right? It's like, that's mm-hmm. what life is. It's hard it's chaos it's wild and yet Mm -hmm. we're always seeking for hope we're always trying to find beauty we're always trying to interpret everything that's happening to us in a way that brings us you know closer to the divine um closer to god and closer to beauty so that Mm -hmm. we can find more reason to keep going because we need that Mm -hmm. we need it and i love that perspective of like we have to find something worthwhile to keep going for mm-hmm. and and so that's what seeking sunshine has been about for so long it's like we've got to find something to be passionate about we've got to create beauty in you know from the ashes of our lives yeah yeah i get that and i'm reminded of one of the many things that draws me to you is that deep sense of spirituality where I find you to be so bright and sunny and so able to see the good in any moment and also very dark and deep, meaning knowing the nitty gritty of life, knowing things that some people never come across ever and you're living through them or have lived through them already and this this spirituality that um i've heard you talk about surrender and the divine and god and your spiritual experience in this world and i'm wondering if you can speak to that a bit yeah um so i was raised very very religious very spiritual and that foundation has served me really well Thankfully, it's been a huge, it's it's like really a core part of who I am. I'm even wearing my BYU sweater. How about that? <laughs> um, I went to my husband and I, yeah, my husband and I met at BYU uh, and I'm, I was raised and I still am um, Mormon, LDS, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Very strong Christian religion. Um, mm-hmm. And so we got married in that church and we have we've always been in that church and that knowing that like this marriage wasn't my idea it was god's idea 
because I, I really my marriage was kind of the catalyst into my life. There, there was plenty that happened in my life before I got married. Um, and as I've started speaking more and, and exploring, you know, my life, it's like, okay, there there is there's things that happened in my life before that. But like the real tumultuous, traumatic parts of my life really started happening after I got married. That was when, <laughs> you know, I had kids and, and my the births of my kids were really traumatic. Two of my three kids almost died at birth and actually kind of all three of them did. Um, you know, my husband had several near-death experiences in his uh, as he was hospitalized on his journey several times. Most of the trauma in my life happened after I got married, happened mm-hmm. later in my life. And one of my favorite quotes comes from Frozen, and it's people make bad choices when they're mad or scared or stressed. And mm-hmm. certainly my husband going through everything that he went through with his disability meant that like our marriage was not always easy. Our marriage, I mean, our marriage now at 15 years is a thousand times better than it mm-hmm. was. I mean, for the first decade we fought, it took mm-hmm. us a decade before we were on the same page. We struggled for a really long time, but I knew that I that this wasn't my idea. I knew that that God put me here for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that core foundation meant everything to me. It really changed everything to me. And then seeing miracles happen with my kids and with my husband, it's been a journey, but it's been beautiful. And I know that like we can't see the beauty without seeing the storms first. It's because of the dark times that help us see the bright times so much more clearly like they just wouldn't have the impact Mm -hmm. that they Mm -hmm. have on us Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for the depths that we've Mm -hmm. been to Mm -hmm. and having such a reliance on christ for me personally like having that example in my life it means everything to me it really does Mm -hmm. beautifully spoken I'm so glad that you can share about your spirituality and religion. I have some family members who are not blood relatives, but I have a very large and extended family that kind of goes on infinitum. (laughs) And um, so we have a Mormon branch of our family. And what I know about their faith is that they also feel so rooted and so comforted by their relationship with the church and how there's such a strong community in that religion. We've been really, really blessed by it. Too many times to mm-hmm. mention. Uh, just, just so many times. Uh, it's been, you know, an anchor in this storm, which is, <laughs> I feel like that's a really cliche thing to say, but it really <laughs> has been like so many times. I mean, we've had plenty of times where we've lived really close to family, but we moved away from family and moved. We took this huge leap. We met and married here in Utah while we lived at, while we lived near BYU and were going to school. And then we moved out to California and lived near my parents. And then we moved out to Texas and lived near his parents. And then we moved back to finish our degrees in 2018. And it was this huge leap of faith because our closest family was his grandma lived an hour away, but she was like, in her 80s and now she lives in a nursing home and like we were relying on his parents constantly to watch our kids while he was being hospitalized all the time Mm -hmm. and so it was this huge leap to be like okay we're gonna leave all of our family support and and just just jump and you know what followed was then the hardest year of our lives (laughs) 
2018, right before the pandemic, was was one of the hardest years that we've ever faced. We had a lot of issues with our housing uh, when we moved up to Utah. It was the year that Joshua was diagnosed with diabetes. We, Both my husband and I were in college full-time, and we had all three kids were at three different schools. <laughs> yeah, it was a really bad year. And then the pandemic hit, and we were like, this is it. This is easy. We can handle this. <laughs> like the worst thing that happened in the pandemic was that my son got glasses and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like I can handle this. This is easy. Um, so it was hard, but we had so much love and support around us mm-hmm. that it was it was beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. they they it's really a, a worldwide system of love and support. Mm-hmm. And I know that not everybody has felt that who belongs to this group, but mm-hmm. we have been really blessed. And what's what's it has been interesting is that we've got a Joshua. <laughs> we have we have kids with autism, especially Joshua, who, you know, struggles to sit through church and struggles to go to classes. You know, he's not typical. He's not. My other two can go and sit and most, for the most part, they, they can pass fairly well as normal, at least for an hour at church, right? Joshua does not. Joshua sits and screams through church and does his thing. <laughs> he colors up and down his arms. He, You can send him to church in a white shirt and it will be markered up the whole way. <laughs> within 10 minutes and you're like all right that happened um but we've had you know everyone loves him Mm -hmm. single person loves him just instantly and that love's amazing Mm -hmm. you know it's it's amazing to have that support system without even having done anything Mm -hmm. and everybody needs that kind of support system yeah for sure And I hear you talking about love. Isn't it all about the love? Isn't that at the heart of everything? Yep, absolutely. And it's like, how can we show that to each other more? How can we reach out and connect more to other people? Because I guarantee you that 99% of the people around you aren't feeling it enough and they need to feel it more. Mm -hmm. I find love to be eternal, meaning backwards and forwards in time beginningless and endless. And so there's always room for more because it's flowing through us. Yeah. There's no, um, it's to it. Yeah. It's not going to run out and there's ripples. Yeah. It's always affecting people in ways that you don't expect, you know? When your son, Joshua was diagnosed with diabetes, I understand that it really affected you and not necessarily only in the ways that would be expected, but I I hear that it affected the way that you see and have a relationship with music. Yes. So right before he was diagnosed, so he was diagnosed in October of 2018. And right before he was diagnosed, I had what I call like my big Facebook meltdown. I like went live on Facebook and like sobbed. And I was like, I give up. I give up. He's never going to talk. And I can't handle hoping anymore. Like I just, I just like gave up. And I was like, he's, he's just never going to talk. And what I didn't realize at the time is that it was actually a surrender. And I was giving up my insistence that it had to look the way that I thought it had to look. I was giving up. I was giving up my plans for his life and surrendering to whatever God wanted for him. And if that meant that he was never going to talk, then so be it. I couldn't keep 
clinging to this idea that like therapy was going to fix him. Mm-hmm. I had to just, I had to let it go. And then like, right, it was within like a week or two, like it was like right away he got sick and it seemed to come out of the blue, even though technically it was actually like probably over a year that mm-hmm. like his pancreas had slowly been shutting down. But when something happens over a year, like you don't notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had been slowly like losing weight yeah. for a while. Um, and he just woke up one morning and looked like death. Mm-hmm. Like he just looked like he lost like a ton of weight overnight. And like my mom brain was like, oh my gosh, he's dying. And then my logical brain was like, no, he's fine. It's just a stomach bug. And he was like, normal Josh would bounce off the walls and like needed his medicine to keep him from like to bring him down just a few notches. And this morning he just like laid on the floor and curled up in a ball. Wow. That was all he wanted to do the whole weekend because this was a Saturday morning. So then he he puked a little, but it wasn't like there was nothing that was really obvious. So we just sort of let him ride it out all weekend. And then Monday I took him to the pediatrician. I had to carry him into the doctor because he couldn't walk on his own. And I brought him in and she was like, yeah, it's just a stomach bug. There's nothing wrong with him. And I was like, "Mm, are you sure? I've seen lots of stomach bugs and this does not seem normal to me. Like he looks like he's lost a bunch of weight and he he can't walk on his own. Like he's too weak. Like what is up with this? And she was like, well, I guess we could take blood work, but that's really hard to do with someone who has autism. So let's not. And I was like, but so she sent us home with nothing and she was like well if it gets worse in a few days you can bring him back but like she didn't want to do anything like she didn't even look at him so we went home and my husband and I were both in college full-time and so we were trading off like who stayed home and missed class and who was home with the kid and so my a couple days later my husband texted me a picture while I was in class and Josh will look drastically worse and that was the moment where I was like no I'm done and and I'm, I'm done watching my kid die. So I took him to the ER. They knew immediately. And he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. He was in diabetic ketoacidosis. And the thing was, so he was completely, completely and utterly nonverbal. And within a month of being released from the hospital, he could say all of his colors. And like his speech just like skyrocketed. As soon as he was with diabetes, it just like unblocked something, which he started eating all of a sudden we couldn't get him to eat before this he was always Mm. chronically underweight like they tried to put him on prescription meds to get him to gain weight is how Mm -hmm. underweight he was but about a month after he was diagnosed was when i auditioned for the school of music for opera for the second time a decade later and i had been just dying to get in the school of music and i was sure this was like it for me like my dreams coming true and then i found out in february that i didn't get in and i was completely crushed and devastated but what it Joshua's story did for me is I was like, wait a minute. If Josh can talk, maybe there's still maybe miracles can happen. Yeah. Maybe they just don't, maybe they just don't, maybe they just look differently than I planned. Maybe somehow I can still sing and it just looks different than I planned. You know, maybe this longing in my soul to sing isn't for nothing. Maybe, maybe me longing for Josh to talk wasn't for nothing. It just had to look different. And maybe the longing in my soul to sing isn't there for nothing. It just has to look different. And so I kind of surrendered to like, okay, God, what do you want from me? Like, what what's your plan for my life instead of me insisting that I go do opera? Like, what's your plan? Um, and so I, you know, clearly opera was not it because I didn't get in to the program again. And then like I 
managed to get into this songwriting class, which was like a really hard class to get into. And it just sort of the door was like opened for me to work on songwriting. Like I got I graduated, got into this really amazing songwriting program. And it just sort of like it was it just felt like it like it just like the doors were just opened. And like there's this thing that is said from time to time of like you can just feel it when when God's hand is in it. Because mm-hmm. because the path will be blocked up, and then when it's the right way for you, and God's hand is like that's it, like it just just opens. It's just there. It just flows. Mm-hmm. And songwriting, like don't get me wrong, I had to work to learn songwriting, and I had to get rid of a lot of ego and and shut down a lot of pride. And like because you know the first few songs I wrote, I was like these are the best songs ever, and everyone should just love me. And like they were not the best songs ever. I had to keep writing and get better and improve. But like it happened, you know, like I had the opportunity to grow and improve and get better and get better and get better and get better. Anyways, it, it's been a journey, but like Joshua's story changed the way that I looked at things. And now when things go wrong, I'm like, wait, maybe this isn't the whole story yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's more to the story. You know, for Joshua, it was like I had that moment of sitting in the hospital, like why, you know, why God would you do this to my son? But I yeah. hadn't seen the whole picture yet. I hadn't seen the rest of the story yet. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I could have just like had the perspective to be like, there's so much more Mm -hmm. to the story. This is just one chapter. There's so much more to this story. Just give it a minute and trust that God has more for you. And now that is how I'm trying really hard to look at the rest of my life. Like, Mm -hmm. wait a minute. Maybe this roadblock is actually a miracle and I just have to wait for the rest of the story to play out before I'm able to see it like that. I love what you're sharing, Carolee, and it reminds me of something you said earlier in this conversation about how when you're in the middle of something, it's not always so easy to see the gratitude right then, but give it some time and look back. And, and you might have a different vision of what, what it was all about, what the gratitude could be or is. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. it sometimes it takes time. Mm-hmm. time you were saying time heals. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the unfolding of the story. When we look at our lives um, from that perspective, it's like your life is a story. And if you only read one page of it, you're going to feel really stressed out, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. if the page you read is at the top of the roller coaster. <laughs> right? <laughs> like if you, if you can't even imagine that there's more to the book and all you feel is stuck and like nothing ever is going to get better, nothing's mm-hmm. going to change. Mm-hmm. You have to remember that tomorrow exists, that there is more that's going to play out and just wait, because God has something amazing in store for you. And you just have to trust that because mm-hmm. it's really true. And maybe tomorrow you won't be able to see it. But, you know, what about in a week or a mm-hmm. month or a year? Like it's coming. It really mm-hmm. is coming. I love that moment of a roller coaster when where the roller coaster car is going up and up and up and it gets really slow and you're at the tippy tippy top. And it's like, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Just sail down on the other side. 
I hate roller coasters so much. <laughs> I wrote a whole song about how much I hate roller coasters. And it's like, they told me it was going to be worth it. But I'm not sure if I believe them. And here I am on this roller coaster feeling trapped. And if I try to get out, I'm going to fall. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and my my song roller coaster is all about it's a metaphor for life right and then it's like i finally see that like i'm not alone in this mm-hmm. ride and there's somebody with me and it's like mm-hmm. oh that's comforting i'm wondering how do you write your lyrics so i usually start with just like one word or phrase of an idea um so right now i actually i write custom songs for people and so uh, especially custom podcast intro songs and so i start with like the title of the podcast and so when i write my own songs i'm starting with like what's the what's the one thing that i want it to be and then i sort of build it out from there of mm-hmm. like what's the main sort of thing that's usually how i write songs occasionally i'll write them differently but usually and it's really inspiration based like it's it's usually just kind of flowing with whatever just comes and then I have to really quickly capture it before it leaves. So mm-hmm. I have my voice memo app is like so filled. <laughs> like <laughs> capture it because you for me the the melody and the lyrics tend to come together. Like the lyric comes first, but then it's usually only like a few words and then I put I'm putting a a, a melody to it. And so then I'm recording that and then I'm adding something on and adding something on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love your creative process. Uh, and it's it's funny because like I was talking to my husband about this because like you were saying, I just did this keynote concert and it's yeah. up on my podcast <laughs> and he was playing this. He was accompanying me on the ukulele and he was struggling because he was accompanying me um, on a song I just finished. It was somebody's um, custom song that I wrote for their podcast called Unleash Your Inner Radiance. And he was struggling to accompany me because I write songs really weird. And and here's here's what that means is when he writes songs as what he describes as a normal person, <laughs> as a normal musician, <laughs> when he writes songs, he is like, here's a normal chord structure. It goes like this. Here's the chord and here's the chord. Here's what a normal chord structure looks like. How can I fit a melody into this chord structure? What words might go into the melody that I plugged in to this normal chord structure? Mm-hmm. That's how he writes songs. And his songs are great. They're really mm-hmm. good. When I write, I'm like, here's a word. Here's a melody. Here's a word. Here's a melody. And I come up with this melody. And then I'm like, what notes are those? How can I build chords around the notes that I just wrote in this whole melody? And then usually the chords that I've come up with that go with the notes I wrote in the whole melody are weird. (laughs) Like one of the chords that I came up with in this song, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was like, it was like D sharp minor ninth. (laughs) And it was like, oh, how do you play that on the ukulele? (laughs) he had no idea how to play that on the ukulele and i was like i don't play i don't know i love that you're continuing to challenge your husband so you guys get to play it out (laughs) literally and we made it through like we made it through 
I love all of the growth that I hear in this theatrical music expression and your differences with your husband. And I am not a musician, but I grew up in a family of musicians and my son is learning music and he's, he's nine. So I have a nine-year-old son as well. And he has outgrown me and my music knowledge. And so he talks to me about those minors and sharps and flats and how the notes go together. And I'm like, that's amazing. What's he playing? He plays the viola. Ooh, fun. (laughs) And so I think you will appreciate this. His favorite thing to do with the viola is not what's assigned. What he really likes to do is improvise by either plucking or bowing or both and singing while he's playing the viola and kind of march and dance around the house. (laughs) But that's a really great skill to be able to sing and play together. Well, you're an amazing musician. And um, I'm so glad that you're sharing your light and your knowledge with us and I am, I'm excited to share with our audience about the snippet of sunshine. What is the snippet of sunshine? Yay. Snippet of sunshine is a daily quote that gets sent right to your email box. So you can have every morning, just like beauty and joy and inspiration to open and enjoy. And it's kind of like something to ponder often. It's like something that's really thought provoking. And it's a quote that comes right from my podcast, uh, seeking sunshine. So it's, yeah, that's what that is. So if you want to sign up for that, it's a really fun, it's a fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. And we'll link to all of your offers. We have your album and your podcast and your snippet of sunshine and anything else you want people to know about how they can find you. Yeah. Um, my website is Um, My album is seeking sunshine. My podcast is seeking sunshine and they're all just up on all of the places that you can find music and podcasts. Carolee, <laughs> what is a healing moment for you either in this conversation or anywhere in your life that kind of stands out in this moment? Mm, I really love really love performing, really love singing. Um, And one of the things, so for me personally, I find clarity when I am speaking, when I'm talking to people. And so I've had the opportunity to speak um, like actually in person recently, which has been a lot of fun. A lot of us didn't get to do that a lot when COVID hit and we've had more and more opportunities to do that. And so I often find that like, no matter how prepared my speech is, sometimes inspirational just strike, like right when I'm in the middle of a speech and I'll stand there and I'll be speaking, then I'll be like, I'll say something Mm -hmm. and it'll be like, oh, and I'll literally stand there and be like, oh, (laughs) like as I literally like feel the inspiration and clarity, like come while I'm talking to people. And it's like, that's really how I feel the spirit that's how I feel inspiration and it's really weird (laughs) it's really amazing to recognize that when it happens and especially because I'm speaking I'm frequently my husband's filming it so I can go back and watch it and I could see my face and be like oh like because I recognize that like light just like come and where I'm like that that Mm-hmm. And then I like keep going with my speech, but I love, I love those moments. They're mm-hmm. really beautiful where you just like feel, you just feel the divine. You can just feel that light. It's freeing. It's mm-hmm. so beautiful to just feel like you've suddenly stepped out of your own way and you're like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, 
there's truth. There it is. Mm -hmm. Right here with us. Yeah. Yeah.
supposed to be.